0: Walter Sports Bar is again, this college football season, the D.C. hangout for Florida State fans. Make your plans now for Sunday night of Labor Day weekend as FSU takes on LSU. Will Dylan Cruz be there to cheer on his Tigers? Unlikely. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the
1: best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
2: a long drive left field. Forget about this one. It's way back there, and it is long gone. A long home run for Lane Thomas on a 2-0 pitch, his 21st. It's now 3-2 Miami. National's second solo shot of the night against the rookie, the 0-2. Swing a line drive left center field. It's down for a base hit. Abrams rounding third. He will score the tying run. Throw into second will hold Thomas at first. Lane Thomas. Mr. Extra Innings is 6-for-6, and he has tied this game with a leadoff single in the bottom of the 10th. The Nationals 4, the Marlins 4, winning run at first.
3: And the pitch. Swing and a drive, it well to deep center field. Young going back, way back to the warning track, at the wall, and it is gone. A home run into the Brewhouse red seats. A two-run shot for Garrett Hampson. And he has given the Marlins a big cushion now only his second home run of the season. Marlins now lead it 8-4. to four.
4: And welcome to Nats Chat for Saturday, September 2nd, 2023, along with MadisonSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman, who was at Nationals Park. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. The Nats on Friday night played their sixth extra inning game this season, just their second to go beyond 10 innings. And the result was a loss, a uh, fifth loss in six games, an 8-5, 11-inning loss to the Miami Marlins at Nationals Park in Game 2 of a four-game series. And that's now 62-74. and This was a night on which the Nats hit three 400-plus-foot home runs, including one by a guy making his Nats debut. But all three homers were solo homers, and the Nats beyond the homers did not do a ton offensively. And we had Robert Garcia and Mason Thompson in the top of the 11th, combining to allow four runs, three earned. This installment of the Nat Chat podcast is brought to us by Lose City Bar. This football season, make Lose your spot. Lose is in the Columbia Heights neighborhood in northwest D.C., right by the Metro. Specialty brick oven pizzas starting at 12 99 Mark, the Nats from August 2nd through August 26th lost a total of six games. The Nats now, over their last six days, have lost five games, and the team over the last three games has been outscored 21-6. I don't think we could say like the season is unraveling or anything like that, but certainly these last few days have not gone like the last few weeks have gone.
0: No, and I think primarily they're just not scoring runs, and we sort of saw this coming Stone Garrett injury obviously didn't help in that regard. Lane Thomas cooling off, although he was good in this game, that hasn't helped. But it feels like it's becoming more of a chore for this team to score runs. And yeah, they got the three solo homers. That was great. But I know you're going to look at the 11th inning and and the four runs that the bullpen gave up there. I'm looking at just score another run some point prior to that point. From the third inning until the 10th, there were opportunities for them. One run would have won in that game and they just couldn't produce it. And I do kind of have this sinking feeling. You guys have alluded to it. We've kind of discussed this a little bit that there may be a regression here coming. Maybe we're already in that somewhat. They won a bunch of close games in August, 10 and two in one run games. I know this wasn't officially a one run game, but it's extra innings. It's kind of along those lines. And I think you may start to see these things not fall their way if they don't come through with clutch hits when they need them, and if they don't have absolutely perfect relief pitching. They were very good for most of the night, bullpen-wise. Eventually, though, that's going to catch up to you. They needed to score another run some point earlier, never let it get to that point.
4: Yeah, the offense certainly has not been great here lately. And even with the three solo homers on Friday night, the Nats for the game total just eight hits. I mean, it really was the homers and then Not much beyond that. Now, the Nats, to their credit, did draw five walks, so that's pretty good. But I mean, you think about this, eight hits over 11 innings, like eight hits over nine innings isn't much. Eight hits over 11 innings, you're really not talking about much. And the Nats for the game, just six at-bats with runners in scoring position, two for six with runners in scoring position in the game. So in terms of what did happen in the 11th inning, this ended up being kind of an odd deal because you had, first of all, six relievers utilized in this game. You had the Nats' top two relievers, Hunter Harvey and Kyle Finnegan, pitching but it ended up being Robert Garcia and Mason Thompson who manned what ended up being the deciding inning. So just to take you through the bullpen work in this game, again, six relievers, they combined to allow five runs, three earned in six innings. There actually was a good bit to what happened with the bullpen in this game, and some of this stuff is going to get buried, but you had some good stuff early. Jose A. Ferrer, perfect top of the sixth. Jordan Weems, a scoreless top of the seventh, despite issuing two walks, one of which was an intentional walk. Hunter Harvey had a great appearance. He tossed a perfect top of the eighth with two swinging strikeouts, which were of the Marlins numbers, three and four batters, Jake Berger and Jazz Chisholm Jr. Then came a really unique appearance for Kyle Finnegan. He allowed one run unearned in two innings. He tossed a scoreless top of the ninth that included a 3-6 double play for the first two outs. Really smart play by first baseman Dominic Smith. He allowed a bunt pop-up by Garrett Hampson to drop then fielded the ball, stepped on first base, and then threw the ball to shortstop CJ Abrams, who tagged Jesus Sanchez for the second out. We actually had a similar play in the uh, first game of this series involving Michael Chavis. But then Finnegan in the top of the 10th allowed an unearned run, but he allowed the unearned run on three fielders' choice grounders. That was kind of odd. But then came that four run 11. Robert Garcia officially allowed three runs, two earned in a third of an inning. He began what ended up being the four-run 11th, facing three Marlins batters, recording just one out, gave up three consecutive singles. The lone out that he got came on an outfield assist by center fielder Jacob Young. And then Mason Thompson came into the game. He officially allowed one run in two-thirds of an inning, but he came into the game top of the 11th, runner on second, one out, Nats down 6-4, and he, to the first batter he faced, gave up a one-out, two-run homer, by Garrett Hampson to center field for an 8-4 Marlins lead, 420 feet per stat cast. Boy, you know, when Mason Thompson's season ends, there is going to be so much to take in and so much to process with the season that he has had, because there have been some really good stretches for him. But man, there have been some rough ones too. And, you know, he gives up the homer in this game. But yeah, I mean, it wasn't like the bullpen was just horrendous in this game. But, you know, you lean on six guys, they're not all going to have it on one night.
0: Well, right. I think it was actually a really good effort by the bullpen. You're talking essentially five scoreless innings. And the 10th inning one, he gives up the automatic runner who scores from second. So he's not actually responsible for that. And like you said, it was three straight ground balls that they just, you know, two of them, they got outs on the other one. He tried to get the out at third and the throw was a little bit off. But I mean, I don't feel like Finnegan did much of anything to deserve giving up a run there. So, if the lineup just manages to somehow score a run prior to that point, we never get to the 11th. You never get to Robert Garcia and Mason Thompson and, you know, I'm not going to excuse their performances cuz neither one was particularly effective, but by that point you get to the 11th inning, you're on your fifth and sixth relievers of the night. It's hard to just count on keep getting locked down performances straight through the night like that. And again, an automatic runner, so it's a little bit of a tough spot to enter. I didn't think Garcia was that bad. It was three straight singles, and a couple of them were on the ground, not a whole lot of loud contact. Mason Thompson, though, boy, I, I don't know what to make of him. Like you said, he's been really good at times, but his bad has been really bad. And his inability to maintain any consistency through the season, I think is probably the biggest takeaway. That is something he's going to have to figure out, the mechanics, how to keep that in line. But I think more than that, he's got to learn how to get outs when he's not feeling 100% right. If his mechanics aren't on point, if his command isn't on point, you got to learn how to get outs. It cannot be just a blow up anytime that happens because the rules of baseball today are you have to face three hitters so if David Martinez puts him in a game and he doesn't have it on the first batter, you can't take him out unless he's hurt. I think this is some significant work he's got to put in this offseason to try to make that next step. I don't want to give up on him because his good is really good, but he's got to find some level of consistency and learn how to pitch his way out of spots when he doesn't have his best stuff on a given night.
4: His ERA for the season is now 550. So you know, <laughs> we could say he has pitched well at times and he has. I mean, that's not fake. Like that really has happened. But boy, I mean, he's flirting with an ERA of six for the season and he has pitched a good bit this season. Like it's not like that's based on, you know, 20 innings of work on the year. I do want to highlight this too, you know, with some of the good that we do talk about with the Nats bullpen, it's worth noting this, the Nats for this season have by far the most home runs allowed by relievers in the majors. 81 home runs allowed by Nats relievers this season. The second highest total, as we are taping this installment of the Nats Chat Podcast, is 69. So you think about that. 81 home runs given up by your relievers this season. Next worst total is 69. You are 12 home runs worse than the next worst total In terms of relief pitching home runs allowed this year, that is something that really does need to get under control because even the best guys, Finnegan and Harvey, have had an issue with that at times, giving up the home run. That obviously is like a killer when you have a bullpen that gives up bombs. And this Nats bullpen, even with some of the good stuff that it has done, has given up home runs really throughout this season.
0: And I don't know what the number is, but a lot of home runs to the first batter faced which happened in this game with Thompson. I feel like that has been a consistent theme. Guy comes in out of the pen, immediately bam, home run, which is, you know, the last thing that you want to have happen. So it's been very Jekyll and Hyde. There's been a lot of good stuff in there. They have been, especially the tried and true late inning types like Finnegan and Harvey, Weems here lately have been very good late in these close games. But when they're bad, they're really bad. And, you know, the, Kind of the same thing. We're going to look at the Nats' total bullpen ERA, and it's not going to be very good this year, in part because there are a good number of just blow-up games. And I I think you could almost put this one in there, giving up four runs there in the 11th. When they get scored on, it's not just the one run or two runs. It seems like it falls apart on them, and they don't even give their teammates a chance to rally at the end of the night.
4: The Nats' starting pitcher on Friday night. Was Jake Irvin. After his last outing, I said on uh, the installment of this podcast that I thought Jake Irvin at that moment was the Nats' best pitcher, that he had been pitching the best of any guy in the Nats' rotation. You look at his previous three starts working backwards one run in six innings, six scoreless innings, two runs in six and two thirds innings with six strikeouts. Pretty good stuff from Irvin, all things considered. Well, he was not particularly good on Friday night, wasn't terrible. But, you know, I guess we have come to expect more from Jake Irvin. And I I think in a strange way, that's actually a compliment to Jake Irvin that, you know, he on Friday night does what he does. And we're actually kind of disappointed. So three runs in five innings. Now, we only gave up four hits, a double and three singles, but he issued three walks. He threw a lot of balls, 80 pitches, 44 strikes versus 36 balls. Top of the first, he allowed a run on a leadoff single by Louisa Rice to center field on an 0-2 pitch and a two-out RBI single by Jazz Chisholm Jr. to right field for a 1-0 Marlins lead. Irvin in the top of the third allowed two runs, although the inning could have been worse. He allowed each of the first three batters to reach base to give the Marlins the bases loaded with no outs. Irvin issued a leadoff five-pitch walk of the Marlins' number nine batter, Jacob Stallings, then gave up a first-pitch double by Luis Rise to right field and uh, passed a uh, sliding Lane Thomas, and then Irvin issued a four-pitch walk of the ex-NAT Josh Bell, but did only give up two runs in that inning. Like I said, could have been worse. So three runs in five innings for Irvin. What would you think about how he pitched on Friday night?
0: I think it was the walks and just the falling behind hitters that has been a little out of character. For him, what we've seen from him over this multi month stretch, where he's been, like you said, arguably their best starting pitcher, is that he gets ahead in the count. And you see what a difference it makes for him. It's important for every pitcher, but it feels like for him, maybe even more so than anybody else, when he's up 0 1, it opens the door for more. He's able to expand the zone and get outs. And, you know, he goes deep in games as well. So I know he only goes five in this one, but he finished strong a one, two, three, fifth. He's only at 80 pitches, so arguably could have come back and thrown another inning. And I get that maybe Davey decided late in the season, he's a rookie. There are They are watching his workload. Maybe let him finish on a high note, not extend that pitch count too much. So if that's him at his worst, that's a pretty good sign. If he can still keep your team in the game, three runs in five innings, no, you don't want that every time out. But on a night when he didn't have his best command, he did relatively minimize the damage and at least got through five innings and how many times over the last few years have we said boy if they could just get a guy who gives you five innings and keeps your team in the game as your number five starter how great would that be so i think that's a good sign in the bigger picture if that is jake irvin at his worst
4: yeah i mean three runs in five innings is his worst outing by far over his last four starts that's pretty good i mean that's something that i think we all would have taken uh you know not that long ago (music) This
5: episode of NatChat is brought to you by Lou's City Bar. Lou's City Bar in Columbia Heights wants to elevate your sports bar experience. Meet us for happy hour weekday starting at 3 o'clock, featuring discounted local beer, quick bites, cocktails, and more. Raise a glass to your team, the weekend, or a lively night out with new daily deals at Lou's, including buy one, get one pizza on Mondays, Taco Tuesdays, Trivia Wednesday, and football specials all season long. Elevate your sports bar experience with us at Loose. We're located a half block from the Columbia Heights Metro at 1400 Irving Street Northwest, with garage parking available across the street. Explore our dine-in and takeout menu at www.loosecitybar.com and follow us on Instagram at Loose City Bar to stay updated on events and promotions.
4: Hey guys, Al Galdi here to tell you about Factor, which is offering a great deal for listeners of the Nats Chat Podcast 50% off. September has arrived. Uh, that means even more of a focus on the Nats' promising young players, but that also means that your busy life now is even busier. Factor is America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit. It can help you fuel up fast with chef prepared dietitian dietician-approved, ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. You'll save time, eat well, and stay on track with your healthy lifestyle. Too busy this fall to cook, but you want to make sure that you're eating well? Well, with Factor, uh, skip the extra trip to the grocery store and skip the chopping, the prepping, and the cleaning up, too, while still getting the flavor and nutritional quality that you need. Go to Factormeals.com slash NatsChat50 and use the code NatsChat50 for 50% off. One more time, Factormeals.com slash NatsChat50 and use the code NatsChat50 to get 50% off. The 1-1 pitch. Swing a high fly
2: ball. Right center field and deep. Travis Blankenhorn. This one is long gone. Off the facing of the second deck. His first hit as a National is a game-tying solo shot. It's the Nationals three and the Marlins three. A no-doubter. What a blast by Travis Blankenhorn.
4: That's offense overall not good on Friday night, but with the three home runs, it's worth sort of doubling down on each homer here. So Travis Blankenhorn is now playing for the Nats at the major league level. We are in the month of September and uh, the Nats' initial September call-ups were outfielder slash infielder Travis Blankenhorn and uh, also reliever Amos Willingham. He's back at the major league level. The Nats on Friday afternoon announced that they had selected the contract of Blankenhorn from AAA Rochester. Kind of a, an interesting story. So this season is his age 26 season. He's a guy who the Nats signed to a minor league contract This past December hit quite well for AAA Rochester this season, 455 plate appearances, OPS of 877. He has played in the majors. He, over the last few seasons, played for the Minnesota Twins and New York Mets, although not much, just 31 career Major League plate appearances coming into Friday. He was taken by the Twins in the third round of the 2015 draft. Blankenhorn was the ad starting left fielder and number 5 batter on Friday night, And he went one for two with a solo homer and two walks. Bottom of the first, he drew a two-out walk despite having been down at 1.02. Blankenhorn in an Nats two-run third, a two-out solo homer to right center field to tie the game at three, 423 feet per stat cast. And then Blankenhorn in the bottom of the fifth drew a two-out walk. So great name, Blankenhorn. And uh, Blankenhorn was hitting in his Nats debut on Friday night.
0: A very nice development and one of those that you say, I don't know what it means in the bigger picture. Maybe it does mean that he could do more for them and I think he's going to get a look. You know, they've really gone through their share of left fielders here over the course of the summer and we're supposed to be the Corey Dickerson and Stone Garrett platoon. Dickerson, of course, struggled mightily and was finally released and Garrett finally seized the job only to suffer a, a terrible injury and is out for the year. So they've been mixing and matching, and they've been looking at a bunch of different guys, and up next is Travis Blankenhorn. Like a lot of these others, he is not the elite prospect. He is not viewed internally as the long-term answer there, but they've got a month to give somebody like this a shot and see if he can push his way into the mix, and that was about as good of an opening act as you can ask for. I thought it was really telling that in his debut for them, he's batting fifth. You know, Davey doesn't do that a lot. Trust the guy. And I, I know he's not a young kid, but throwing him right into the fire as the number five hitter in this lineup. And he delivered. So I think we're going to see more of him in that spot. So good for him. Bounced around a little bit. He had a big year at AAA, 23 homers. So I think there was a feeling like this guy could provide some pop for them. Left handed hitter and something they've needed out there. We're going to see more. Of him. Again, I don't know what that really means. I, I kind of lump him in with that group of. Blake Rutherford, Alex Call, Jacob Young, and some others that are sort of the placeholders until the real prospects arrive whenever that happens, probably sometime early next year. But until then, it's an opportunity for every one of them to make a case to try to say, hey, don't forget about me. I can be a part of this thing as well.
4: We have had kind of an interesting thing with the Nats lineups the last few days here, Davey does seem to be getting a little more aggressive in terms of playing guys who are younger and batting them higher and burying some of the veteran guys. So we have not seen Ildemaro Vargas yet start a game in this series. That is a big time departure from what had been happening. We on Friday night had Dominic Smith as the number eight batter. That is not something we have seen much of this year. You just mentioned Blankenhorn in his Nats debut, being the Nats' number five batter. The Nats' cleanup batter in game one of this series was Carter Keeboom. Davey batted Keeboom in the cleanup spot on Thursday night. So some interesting developments with uh, what's going on with Davey's lineups here these last few games. And by the way, I think that these developments are good. Like I think it's good that the Nats are uh, doing that. All right. So Blankenhorn homered on Friday night. Lane Thomas on Friday night was back and he homered He was back from a one-game absence caused by back tightness. He was an ad-starting right fielder and number two batter. He had a really good game. Three for five with a solo homer, an RBI single, and another single. All three hits were leadoff hits. Thomas in that Nats two-run third, a leadoff homer to left field to cut the Nats deficit to 3-2, 430 feet per Statcast Balls were flying out of Nationals Park on Friday night. Thomas in the bottom of the seventh, a leadoff single to left field. And Thomas in the Nats one-run tenth, easy to forget this, but a leadoff RBI single to left center field on an 0-2 pitch to tie the game at four. So uh, Thomas was back from the back and uh, did quite well.
0: It had been a while since he homered. August 8th was his last one, so you're talking more than three weeks. We've talked about how he's cooled off some. The great first half is a little bit of a thing of the past, and I think he is high on the list of guys who need a strong finish to this season. You don't want to get to the end and say, well, boy, he really had a breakthrough, but then he cooled off so much so that we're not entirely sure what he really is. I think this is important for him to bounce back, and this was a good start to September for him. Back is still a little bit sore. He admitted that what it was that happened was on a throw in Toronto the other day that it felt it tighten up after the throw. I think playing six straight games on the artificial turf in Miami and then Toronto, probably not great on a guy's back, as you can imagine. And it caught up with him and he definitely felt it on that throw. But it was good to see him back in the lineup and good to see him produce to that extent. I think this is a big month for him to really solidify his standing. All those other guys we talked about, we know they're placeholders. Lane Thomas is the one who based on what he's done over the you know several seasons now but really what he did the first half of this year who can keep himself ahead on the depth chart of James Wood, Dylan Cruz, Robert Hassel, all those guys. But he could lose it quickly if he doesn't sustain this. So I think a strong September for him solidifies the fact that he is an everyday player in their lineup next season, no matter which kids are ready to come up.
4: Yeah. You know, we know the phrase, a 4A player. I wonder sometimes with Lane Thomas, if maybe he's a three and a half outfielder, like he's not a top three outfielder. He's not maybe a number four outfielder. Maybe he's better than most number four outfielders. So he's like a 3.5 outfielder. Like he's capable, but is he on a good team, a guy who is a regular everyday starter for you? Maybe not. I mean, Overall, he's been the Nats' best batter this season, but we know that that isn't necessarily saying a ton. C.J. Abrams was the third Nats who homered in this game on Friday night. Only went one for five, but the one was a solo homer. One run first, a leadoff homer on an 0-2 pitch to the second deck in right field to tie the game at 1-409 feet for stat cast. His 15th home run this season. Uh, I know you put out the stat, you know, it's not often that we have had this, a NAT shortstop getting to at least 15 homers in a season, but Abrams has done that.
0: Yeah, look, it's Ian Desmond, Trey Turner, Danny Espinosa in the year that he was a shortstop, and now C.J. Abrams. So pretty good company there. And what C.J. brings to the table that most of those guys did not bring, only Trey Turner did, was the ability to steal a bunch of bases. So he's just a couple away from now being at 15 homer, 40 steal guy and only Trey Turner has done that. I think the only other Nationals player who's had 15 homers and 40 steals in a year is Alfonso Soriano. So that's some very good company. And we've seen like this guy hits the ball with authority. His homers are not cheapies. He's not hitting wall scrapers the opposite field. He gets a hold of them and drives them to the pull side. And when you take that along with everything else that he's doing on the bases in the field, you can see the makings of a really complete player there, with time and experience, and just you know refining some things about his game and his swing. But I don't know. I almost feel like we're shortchanging it at times, like just how good and how talented he can be.
4: The ability certainly there. I mean, we noted this a few episodes ago. His August was not very good, so you know what you don't want is for this season to be all about his July and nothing else. So. You know, we talk about Lane Thomas needing a strong finish to the season. Would love to see Abrams have a good September. And at least you could say, all right, Abrams post the All-Star break really took things up a notch. This year. But, you know, as we're watching him on a daily basis, and as so many people listening to this are, I don't know how you don't like the majority of what you're seeing. Like, there still are nits to pick. There still are aspects of his game that you do want to see improve. You'd like to see him draw more walks. He doesn't draw a ton of walks. But, you know, otherwise, 15 homers, his OPS for the season, he's got that in the 700s. So that's good. That was not something that he was anywhere close to a few months back. So, you know, he could end up finishing with some good numbers on the year, but I would like to see him end this season having had more than one good month. I I do think that that matters. So hopefully, uh, you know, he's kicked off his September with a home run and, you know, hopefully there is more of that to come. Hey, are you a law firm partner or an associate stuck? On an underperforming franchise, Uh, do what Nationals legend Max Serzer did. Demand a trade. He left the New York Mets, right, and uh, ended up on a contender in the American League. There might be greener pastures and a lot more money at another law firm for you and your team at another law firm, not to mention better management and better services to offer your clients. The law firm lateral partner market is still red hot, and Nats Chat sponsor Mason Kalfas is the best legal recruiter in Washington, D.C., or anywhere. And Mason wants to help you find a new and better home. Mason Kalpas, he is the Scott Boris of legal recruiters. Put him to work for you. Mason will sit down with you and understand your practice and career or financial goals. You can reach Mason or any of his team of seven recruiters at 202-486-3535 or email Mason at mason at masonatzenithlegal.com. That's 202-486-3535, or via email at masonatzenithlegal.com. Go Nats! The Nats will be contenders very soon, and you can be a contender even sooner.
5: This year has been a busy year in the DMV for buying tickets, myself included, and game time has come up in the clutch. One show that I have my eye on for next month after the season is Lauren Hale Capital One Arena. Saturday night, October 21st. Make Game Time your spot for tickets. Hopefully, there might even be a West Coast playoff game to watch afterwards. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. Grab the tickets without the stress with Game Time. Here's what to do. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code NATSCHAT for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code NATSChat. That's spelled N-A-T-S-C-H-A-T for $20 off. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. As the ponies raced into contention 2-1 line by acuna in a center field, this is going to be a diving catch by Dylan Cruz. And that ends the inning. Here's your Dylan Cruz update for the game played Friday evening in Binghamton, New York. Cruz had his second multi-hit game since joining Harrisburg on August 22nd. Cruz is in center field, but was moved down in the order to the two spot behind Robert Hassel third, He rewarded his manager Delino DeShields with a pair of hits, including a two-run double in the eighth, two for five on the evening, did strike out twice though. His OPS at the AA level is 564 so far. The Senators did lose 6-5 to the Rumble Ponies. Now back to Mark and Al.
3: Scott to the belt. He's ready. The kick in. Here it comes. Swing. And a miss. The ball short hop. Smith heads for first. Fortes, the throw down to Gurriel is in time to complete the strikeout 2-3. to And the Marlins have taken the first two games in this four-game series.
4: Two games left in this series for the Nats against the Marlins. We have Trevor Williams starting game three on Saturday. That's a 4.05 p.m. first pitch. And then Sunday afternoon, that was the game that was in question. 1.35. Would Josiah Gray start? He had his bullpen session on Friday and it looks like he is going to make that start.
0: Yeah, uh, by all accounts, he's going to be fine to do that. That's a big start for him, <laughs> given what he's been going through. Talking about guys who need to finish strong, maybe after having good performances earlier in the year, he is probably number one among the pitchers who is in need of that. And facing a team that he's faced and has a good sense of him, and, and he's got to learn how to get them out. I'll be very interested to see how he handles that. And. You know, I'm curious how they're going to approach this. Right now, everybody's just kind of staying on turn rotation-wise, but we know that they've been hinting at this for months that eventually they are going to either push guys back or shut them down or skip a start. How is that all going to actually look? It's a two-game series with the Mets coming up after that, so there is an opportunity if they want to finagle with it there. I thought maybe they would give Josiah more time, but they were so impressed with the bullpen session, they said, let's go ahead and let him make the start on turn and uh you know we'll see how he does in that one i think it's a really big start for him
4: I wonder if the competition has anything to do with it. The Marlins are not a very good hitting team. I wonder if the Nats look at the Marlins as a team against which Josiah maybe could get back on track. It is odd with this schedule, though, because you you have the two off days coming up Monday and Thursday, and then the Nats go right back into another one of these stretches in which there are no off days. The Nats' next off day after this coming Thursday, scheduled anyways, is not until Monday, September 25th. So it's kind of like, get your rest this coming week, because after that, you are making a push, you know, really toward the end of the season. And the stretch during which you don't have any scheduled off days, you've got a series against the Dodgers, you've got a series at Milwaukee, you've got a four-game series against Atlanta, and then you get that off day on the 25th, and then you go into your final two series of the season, a two-game set at the Orioles, and then a three-game set at the Braves. So, I mean, if you're going to skip him... I guess, are they looking at skipping him after these two scheduled off days coming up? Because if so, that makes finding someone to pitch for him a little trickier, right? Because you don't have an off day to play with there.
0: Right. That's why I thought maybe they would do it here because there is more leeway and ability to finagle that because of the off days. I don't know how they're going to make that work. It is going to be kind of difficult. We haven't even gotten to what are they going to do with Mackenzie Gore and even potentially Jake Irvin down the stretch. This schedule in September is really weird. You've got these two two-game series against the Mets and then the Orioles. And you have off days on the front and back end of both of those, and then no other off days the entire month. And the last thing a team needs is two off days in the final week of the season. (laughs) They don't need that, but that's what's going to be the case. So it is going to test them in terms of lining up their rotation and if there are ways to give guys more time off or not. We'll have to see how that plays out. But that, it's for that reason that I thought they would give Josiah a little extra time now using the fact that they have Monday off to allow them to push him back a little bit.
4: One more thing for you. So this is a show for Saturday, September 2nd. We are approaching two weeks since the reports came out that Mike Rizzo was closing in on an extension and still there has been no formal announcement. Now, the Chicago White Sox on Thursday did announce their new general manager. Chris Getz has been named the team's new senior vice president slash general manager. So Rizzo is not going to be going to the White Sox to be their GM. I guess it's possible he could be going there to be their president of baseball operations. But I was just ask you this because I know the reporting has continued to be that you know Rizzo is staying. Do you read anything into this that we're coming up on two weeks since the reports came out that Mike would be staying? and yet there still has not been a formal announcement, or is there essentially nothing to see here?
0: I don't want to read too much into it. I think the initial reporting may have um, been a little too optimistic, perhaps, and and a a feeling of, well, they just signed the manager and they're talking to the GM, so of course that's about to get done, and maybe not realizing that there was still negotiation to be done. Mike has every right to do this. I think he's playing a little bit of hardball here, and I don't know specifics about what He's been offered or what he's seeking, I sense that he is still trying to get the best deal that he can get for himself, which again, he has every right to do. And, and you could argue deserves to do it, especially after all these years of working on some shorter deals and earlier on, maybe not making as much as he wanted. I mean, his salary has been commensurate with some of the highest paid GMs in baseball for several years. Now, he just hasn't had the length of term That others have. So I don't know what it is specifically that he may be looking for, but I think he probably feels like he's in an advantageous position where he can hold out and try to get the best deal for himself. I still think in the end, it ends up with him returning. I don't know what the alternative would really be at this point. I think the White Sox thing was uh, fun to speculate about, but deep down, probably wasn't all that likely. And I think even in this case, that would seem like an odd thing for Jerry Reinsdorf to do now. I don't know. There's other teams out there looking for a a 62-year-old GM with a scouting background. So I think it will get done, but I think Mike is going to try to get the best deal he can get for himself before finally agreeing to it. And I don't fault him for that. I think the timing of it probably got everybody a little excited because you see the manager locked up and you see a report of the GM being close to it. Well, maybe he just wasn't quite as close as everybody wanted to believe at the time.
4: Yeah. And You know, for those of us who have done this for a while, and I know for many people listening who have followed this stuff for a while, the way it works in sports nine times out of 10 is you get the reports of a deal. And then like a day later or two days later, you get the official announcement of the deal. And this is true of deals for GMs, for coaches, for players. In other words, like free agent signings, trades, like they get reported. And then like a day or two later, they get announced. Davies extension got reported on a Monday and then Tuesday morning, the official announcement Came out again with Mike. And the reporting was never that Mike had agreed on an extension, it was he was nearing, he was closing in on an extension. But again, this is almost two weeks ago now. And so, you know, you do wonder about it. The other thing, too, that strikes me as kind of funny is for years, of course, the learners have been famous for dragging things out. And uh, sort of teasing people with deals, and you know they did this with Mike and Davey for a while, of like, well, we don't know what we're going to do with your options, you know. And and it was almost like not until the last possible second where those guys kept on. Maybe this is the revenge of Mike Rizzo, you know, and now he's playing that game of sort of stringing the learners along and you know prolonging the process. I don't know, something to think about, but it's not common that things go this way. It doesn't mean that Mike's leaving, but it, it doesn't usually play out like this to where you get the reporting and then two weeks go by. And nothing has been announced.
0: You also wouldn't normally get the manager done without the GM being done. That's not the typical way of doing it. But Rizzo was involved in the re-signing of Davy Martinez. I don't think he does that unless he believes he's also going to be returning to remain as Davy Martinez's boss. So I think the order of it's been a little odd. I think the initial reporting maybe jumped the gun a bit. But I do still believe in the end that the result... Is going to be the same thing.
4: Yeah, and of course, an announcement could come on Saturday, so stay tuned. You tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter at nats underscore chat. You can email the show natschatpodcast at gmail You can also find us on our website natschatpodcast.com at which you can buy a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt. This installment of the Nats Chat Podcast brought to you by Lose City Bar. This football season make lose your spot. Lose is in the Columbia Heights neighborhood in Northwest D.C. right by the Metro Specialty Brick Oven Pizzas starting at twelve ninety nine. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. A thank you to Tim Newmark for the Nats Chat Podcast music. Visit timnewmark.com. For Mark Zuckerman, of Al Galdi. We thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. Here's the windup
3: and the pitch. Swing and a drive hit well to right by Abrams. This ball is going, going, and gone. Goodbye. C.J. Abrams with a leadoff home run. Instant offense ties this game here at the bottom of the first inning. It's the Nationals one and the Marlins one. Bang! Zoom goes Abrams with his 15th home run of the year.
6: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality.